Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Hello, church. It's a, that's a tough story. We're going to get to the story, but not for a little while. We need to do some other work first. And before that, I'm just so proud of Greg and the work he did in Nepal. He sent a bunch of pictures to us and the amazing work. We love Flint Global and the work that Caleb Meeks does. We, uh, we are very, very careful in deciding who we support with what, because we're not you know, we're not a rich church. We are what you give us, basically. And uh, we team up with people that have a good long track record of doing good. And um, this is one of those great times. But please pray for Nepal, because what was it a day ago now, maybe a day and a half in their time, there was an earthquake. And at the last I heard, there was about 160 confirmed dead. That was not near him. uh, And he does not believe that any of their people were harmed. But Nepal is a very, very active landslide, avalanche, earthquake area. So um, this is something which is brutal to people who are in the worst of poverty. So please keep them in prayer. And if I understand correctly, Greg's on his way back about now. Yes. So you will get to see him here in person. Also, uh, pray, continue to pray for Israel. I was supposed to be in Israel uh, this week and the next two weeks. The, um, the trip was canceled because the planes wouldn't fly over there. Uh, and people said, well, you wouldn't have gone anyway. And I said, you just don't know me very well, do you? Um, but we've rescheduled that for the end of next year. Um, just keep praying for the people of Israel and for Jews around the world who are being hunted openly. And, and wear little posters to help us remember that these little babies were stolen, are being ripped down by people who are supposed to be our betters. And that is a tragedy. It is an evil. If you can tear down a poster of a kidnapped person, you are evil. And you need to repent. You need to check what you've been taught. And it is mind-blowingly painful to realize that so many families have spent twenty, thirty, ninety thousand dollars a year sending their kids to places that will teach them that their parents are evil. But we are reaping the whirlwind of this, and we need we need to, to address it and to say this is not acceptable and that we may need to be making some serious changes. We had to do that with COVID, didn't we? We had to do that with Uh, A switch from brick-and-mortar churches, which continue to close. And by the way, as check-in, if you would, please, to the live feed. If you're watching on a device, if you are watching on your your telly, send us a little note or comment later. But it was wonderful to see Rudy Martinez checked in again today. Rudy was in prison and was supposed to die in prison. But because of the work of some of you and some of our members, I, I went down and 
did a talk, or I talked over the Zoom for his parole hearing. I didn't do anything big, but some of our members did big. He was granted parole, sent back to Mexico, where he is now serving the Lord in Leon Guzman, and he greets us every service now, a happy man who is doing well. We've talked about Rudy before, and I noticed right after his check-in was from a check-in from Epaphras Malali from Tanzania. We got an email from uh, Epaphras this week saying, because I, I do plan to go over next year uh, because they've asked me to. And I went to my doctor for him to tell me I was too old and like, and he said, nah, go. So I'm going to need a new doctor, but I'm going, <laughs> I hope to go over next year. And he said that he, at that moment, he was in Zimbabwe sharing our materials with people there. And he said, I hope to bring them down whenever you come. And I'm going, that'd be great, because there are a lot of countries in Africa, and I can't go to all of them. It would be nice to, to meet some. But all of that's being done on a donated soundstage, solar-powered, and people like you who give. I find that to be stunning. And I just wanted to say thank you, God, and thank you, you. Um, told my wife it took me a long time to find a job that I was actually qualified to do. And that was built for me. And I think this may, may have been. Last week, I started by talking about what my favorite songs were. And then led into good and evil and God and evil. So I figured, why not again today? 1965, John Sebastian was a singer-songwriter in the band The Love and Spoonful. And he took a three-chord starting intro into Martha and the Mandela's Heat Wave. He sped it up. Listen to him, you'll hear it. He sped it up and came up with the tune, Do You Believe in Magic? Now, that's a remarkable feat to me because I'm not a songwriter, will never be a songwriter, and that creativity is amazing. And I've always loved that song for a lot of reasons. It's a good song, for one. It's a good melody, uh, well put together. But I also, because I like magic, I do. I love watching magicians, especially the close-up magic or comedy magicians, or juggler could, and if there's a comedy juggler magician, magician, I'm there, front row, right where the pens are going. I, I love that. I've never been into magicians that are dark and mysterious and all the dramatic. To me, that's just posing. I have no interest in that. But I love the tricks. Now, a big difference between my wife and I, and there are many that you have pointed out, but um, is that I don't care how the trick's done. I just don't. Have no interest in it. I just enjoy the trick. My wife would like to know how it's done, but I think also she's a bit stunned that that's the only thing in my life that I don't go, huh, I'm going to research that. <laughs> I like magic. We finished up a long series on who God is and what kind of world he placed us in. But more needs to be said. Just kind of a tying a bow on the thing. We introduced the word theodicy last week and the problem of evil. And I would, something I failed to do last week. So please make a note of this. If you go back to last week's sermon and you get the notes, there's a reading list appended at the end of books on God and evil. 
and how we've wrestled with this. And all of the books are accessible. They're not out of print. They're not for theologians. They're for people who are struggling and want to get the facts down. And so that's on last week's notes. Uh, Kirsten always does an amazing job for us, and she puts a PDF of my notes in every sermon description box. So these will be up there too. We could spend a couple of years going over sermons on the problem of evil, and actually even more, because there have been people who have struggled with this all of their life and who have written amazing material. But I just want to talk about magic and our world for a moment. A few years ago, I had spoken at Pepperdine University, and I was in a plane flying back home to, I believe at that time, perhaps Detroit. So it's still out over the West, and I bought a rather expensive peanut butter and jelly sandwich at an airport. Long story, not interesting either, so I won't share it. And later as we flew from, and I just now looked at my notes, it was LA to Denver, so there we are. I was eating the sandwich when it hit me how impossible everything I was doing was. Here I am trying now to think about how would I explain this to somebody from the 1800s. Say, one of these days, you can sit in a chair. It's not a comfortable chair, but it's a chair. And you can be eating a sandwich 25,500 feet in the air and be perfectly comfortable. It's not even breezy. It's temperature controlled in your little tube, kind of an executive mailing tube, but it's still what it is. And while you're eating your sandwich at 25,500 feet, you're going to be going about 550 miles per hour. For those of you outside America, that's about 885 kilometers per hour. And I was watching a live sporting event at the time that was taking place in Atlanta. How much of that would they believe? Well, we all know the answer is zero. They would not believe a single thing of it. A great many things that we take for granted were once looked upon as unheard of or only in the realms of magic and myth. So people, when you talk to them like that, you pick your, pick your century, because if you told them that in the 1600s, they might burn you as a witch. If you tell them in the 1800s, they would probably assume you were mentally ill. And they would probably try to isolate you from the community. And that would not turn out well for you. If you said it in the 1900s, they might also do a lobotomy, because those were all the rage in America. If you've never looked at the history of that seriously, whole families would line up for them because it's supposed to have all the benefits. Uh, And it's just, or they might electroshock you, or they might just tell everybody in the community that you were special and that you were, you said things, just try to ignore it and treat him nice. Throughout history, we have thought things to be magical or wondrous, only to find that there was a natural, mundane explanation for them. And that's always a bit disappointing. My wife and I were blessed to live in Colorado Springs and to have a, um, a deck that, that walked out from our living area, but also from our bedroom, same deck. And we could go look at Pike's Peak. 
And every night was a light show. And we would post. I'm sure people got tired of it. But the thing on Facebook is, uh, Al, you don't have to be honest. You can just hit the like button and move on. And, but we would post sunset after sunset after sunset. And many people would then comment, how can you look at this and not believe there's a God? Isn't this amazing how God paints the sky? I know what it feels like to be on the other side of that equation and hear that when I'm thinking it's an upsweep of wind catching dust particles that become prisms when the light is refracted at more than a 40 degree. Yeah, it's a wonderful painting. Yes, that's what it is. You don't want to kill people's joy. I want you to some, and this is two things. One, I don't want you to quit worshiping God or thinking about God or praising God in the mundane at all. But two, I want you to think about what other people hear. And what they hear isn't your faith. They, they think it's silly. Or they can be hurt by something you say when you don't mean for it to be said. Years ago, there was a tsunami uh, that hit Indonesia. And it was one of the most horrifying incidents that I think any of us could have ever imagined. You do not get warnings with tsunamis. You don't get warnings in time in tsunamis unless you're in a developed nation that has tsunami warnings because they monitor seismic activity underwater. You know, in Hawaii, in the United States, they have such a system in place. I am told they have such a system in place along the West Coast. I'm assuming East Coast people decided, nah, but they've got them out there. Uh, if you watch live video, and nobody was taking video of the tsunami, they were taking video of day in Indonesia at the beach. You do notice that the water suddenly went out. And everybody's going, oh, look at that. That's really interesting. The tide, not knowing it was coming back. And it was going to come back with such force that life was not possible. You can't swim in it. Because it's not just water. It is the force of water and all the stuff in the water, which includes logs, rocks, aquatic creatures, other people slammed together. 230,000 people died. And then the stories came. And I heard them from pulpits. I read them in church bulletins. And then I saw them on the internet again and again. It would be something such as, you know, the only sole survivor in this village happened to be a Christian. Uh, and isn't that wonderful? I'm going, there was a Christian. By the way, I have no idea if any of these stories are true. But they were repeated again and again. That one whole Christian teenage group was going to go to the, the beach but their buses didn't work. And if you've never been in a church ministry, um, you need to know that youth ministry buses don't work. It is part of the process. Didn't work, and they were very upset. And so the leader just decided to give them something else and, and said, and hike them up into the mountains. And they complained the whole way, but only they survived. Isn't God wonderful? And all of these ends were, isn't it wonderful how God works? Except, 
except then why didn't God move the rest of the population? That's what people who aren't believers are thinking when you tell this story. Now tell this story among yourselves. Tell this story to God and thank God for the, for the salvation of every life. We assume that the nearly 300 hostages that are being held by Hamas as this is being done are being brutalized, maybe being held as, maybe, maybe they have died. We don't know. But for everyone that comes back, rejoice. But please remember, not everybody's home yet. Please remember that some people did die in the tsunami. And we should not ignore that while telling our story. We are born, remember last week, in a battlefield. And in a battlefield, that we will not survive. Have you ever been delayed because you couldn't find your keys or because a kid decided a complete wardrobe overhaul needed to be done? Or you had a paper that you needed to find? All of these things have occurred to me many, many times. I am the world expert on not remembering where I put what I needed right then. And going around thinking, I have looked everywhere, which is ridiculous, quite frankly, because if you've looked everywhere, you've looked where it was. The only thing more ridiculous is when people end those stories with, and I found it in the last place I looked, which is a completely unnecessary statement. Because <laughs> once finding it, why would you continue to look? But people say things. And I have done this. I have done what I'm about to bring up. And I'm late, and I hate being late. My wife will tell you, I am Neanderthal. I am early man. Uh, I would rather be four hours early to the airport than one minute late. And so I, I'm, getting, I'm getting frustrated. I'm in the car finally, and then you hit I-65, or anywhere in Nashville, and boom, traffic is not moving. You crawl, and you crawl, and you come upon the scene of a horrific accident. There are ambulances there. Not sure these things were survivable. And you think, that would have been me if I'd left on time. Have you ever had that feeling? I've had it too. And I'm not proud to say that it took me years before I realized, share that with God. But don't tell that to people. Because somebody in the room has lost somebody to a traffic accident. So then ask, what's, the, what's the natural question to ask? Why you? Why does God love you better than them? Why are you more important to the universe than that person? My child, my mother. You see what I mean? Many of the things we th think are statements of faith actually push people away, but they go quietly so we don't know it. They ease out. So we're not aware. They don't get you know, huffy and stomp around. They're just hurt. We use these stories because it, it explains things and it gives meaning to our life. We are a person that God loves. We are a person that God provides for. That's true. That is absolutely true. Therefore, God saved us. You know, what we felt as our frustration was really the salvation of God. All of that is true. But maybe we need to find a way to say that in a way that involves the other people that were in the accident. Does God care for them? Does he like you better? 
I don't think he likes me better at all. Because one of these days, I will also leave this earth. I will shuffle off this mortal coil, as Shakespeare said. And there are large varieties of ways that you can do that. And this morning we were talking, uh, one of our soundstage families said, I bet if they were still flying to Israel, you'd still have gone. And I said, yes. And they said, well, I bet Cammie wouldn't want you to go. And I said, that's correct. She wouldn't want me to go. Uh, they, you know, isn't it dangerous? My response was, we all die. I, you really need to go into some memory care units and visit, and nursing homes and visits, hospitals and visits, and then decide um, uh, how long do you want to be here, and how long, uh, what way do you want to leave. You don't really get a lot of input on that, by the way. God doesn't say, "Oh, I got your request for you know Tuesday 4:30." which I'd love to do. I'd lo- I, I really would. I'd love to be able to, to a QR code, hold up the phone to it. Mm, next Thursday, there's some repentant I got to do after I do some bad stuff, but I got till Thursday. You see, it's not, we shouldn't know. We shouldn't know, but we want to know. To atheists and to believers who were in the accident, whose family was lost to the tsunami, to Hurricane Katrina, to terrorists on 9-11, to crime, to disease, these stories fall a bit flat. It is possible to thank God for his provision, to tell each other how much God has done for us while remembering those left unhealed, unsaved. We need to remember We're giving everybody who hears our story the right to question, why you, not me? It was in the early days of that terribly long, terrible war in Iraq when one of the first army units that had been deployed and then extended and extended and extended was sent back home. And we were in Rochester, Michigan, just north of Detroit, and Hank was a sergeant, a buck sergeant there, and I think that's an E5 in, in their system. And he and I talked. He wanted to talk to me. He knew that I used to be a shrink, and he knew I didn't do counseling, but that I was, I'd be his pastor if he needed to talk to me, and that I knew a little bit about combat and such and how to recover. And he told me, he said, these are stories I can't tell my mother. And I said, I understand that. And these are stories you never tell your mother. But the first time he was endangered, they didn't even know it. They were sitting on the back of a flatbed truck uh, in the heat. The Iranian border was within sight. And he said, we started, you know, flies started buzzing around us. And it took us the longest time before we realized those aren't flies. Those are bullets. And are coming from the Iranian side of the border. So we can't shoot back. Because Americans are Americans. They have rules. And so they had to get off the truck, and, and he told several stories. And when he was done, I said, would you share those stories with our Wednesday night group? And he said, yes. And I said, Hank, when you're up there, I'm going to ask you a question, and it wouldn't be fair not to let you know what the question's going to be. Now, you in this room and you watching probably know where it's going to be. I said, I'm going to ask you, why you? Why did you come back with no holes in you? Why you? 
And he said, I've already thought about that. No, it, all right, we got a great guy here. Somebody who's got his brain. And, and we did. He said, when my enlistment's over, I've decided not to re-enlist. He says, I want to go to medical school and help other people stay alive. He said, maybe that's why God spared me. But even if that's not the reason, I figure I'm spared, so I, need, I owe something to those who didn't come back. You got to love Hank. You got to love a young man like that who had already been thinking, not everybody can tell these stories. What, is, what do they mean? I want to remind you, again, last week we established that this is not a safe place to be. This world is a battlefield. We will not survive it. We will learn our lessons. We will fight our battles. We will win and we will lose. And sometimes we will win big. But our faith in God does not require us to be Pollyannas, skipping and singing our way through meadows of flowers while closing our eyes and sticking our fingers in our ears, ignoring the pain and the hurt of the planet and the people on it. This is a hard message, and I know that. But we will die. And how we live before we die, that's what matters. So, please continue to thank God for saved lives, for safe journeys, I did this week. Several of us went up to Northeast Missouri to uh, support Lifeline, which is an incredibly wonderful ministry there that some of our people have been supporting over the years. And if you've been supporting a very effective charitable ministry for years and you're a part of it, we would love to know about it. And it was only nine hours drive. And for some of you, you're screaming only to the Mead family that's around the block. The Cassilis, they've done a lot of traveling too. So we went up. We had a wonderful couple days with the folk there. Came back. Did I thank God for the safe journey? Yes. Did I thank God that we were okay? Yes. We have, a, we have to replace a windscreen, a windshield, to those of you this side of the pond. Um, because one minute into our return, boom, Big rock hit. And we're looking at it going, because that's really how you want to start a journey. My, I, I looked at Cammy and I said, good thing I wasn't riding in the slingshot. Let's go that way. You know, this one's, we just have to deal with our insurance agent who we actually love because he's a brother in Christ. Uh, and the other way, Cammy would have to be dealing with uh, the funeral director or something. And I'm going... Let's look at it that way. So we can thank God. But we need to remember those who aren't feeling the same thing. If, if you want to shorten this. It's alright. For every Jonah out there. Who's out of the whale, whale. Please remember there are still a lot of people stuck in that fish. Remember the people stuck in the fish. So we do not vaunt our blessings as a way that God has showered his special favor on us because what is our job on earth? Well, 2 Corinthians 5 lines it all out, but Jesus shrinks it to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. We need to be the people who help the people still in the fish rather than spending too much time bragging that we're out. 
There's another kind, and we're going to wrap this up in a bit, but not, not in a hurry. So if you'd rather get your whip and go. And by the way, in, in most cultures, that, that, that's a horrifying story because, you know, the uh, even idea of whooping. Uh, I do remember when I was dating Cammy, there was a young boy at that church, got in trouble every service and was hauled out every service. One time he went out screaming at the top of his lungs, help, help. And one time I think he decided to go for another angle and he said, y'all pray for me. And I've, I've always thought, all right, I don't know what that kid grew up to be, but it probably involved law enforcement. I saw this shared and shared and shared on social media a couple years now. A tornado had come through that small town, shattered homes. One, one of the homes was actually shattered and then burned because of the down power line. And as they were going into the rubbish, the only thing not harmed was a nightstand that was charred with a pristine Bible on the top. And they published it by saying, isn't it amazing, even in the midst of the worst things, God is showing his problem. Don't. That is pen and ink that you can buy for a few bucks down the store. If he had saved the family, then I think we could post that and say, this family was saved. And we're so grateful for this one while we remember the others. And if you think I'm being really harsh, I'm just trying to tell you that those outside the faith and those inside the faith that didn't have your blessings ache when they hear these things. Because they feel like, well, what are you saying about where I am with God? All I could think about when I kept seeing that pop up was, how do we explain to people a God that saves a book but not to people? I don't think he saved the book. I think fire is weird. Fire burns some things and does others. It's strange. We have to acknowledge that a family had tragedy. I would have rather that we put on social media that our churches decided not to spend money on themselves, but rather to use the money to help the people in this community, watch them helping people in the community. I would have loved that. I think God would have too. There was another one that um, there was a comedian who, a, a lady comedian, I'd never heard of her, evidently she has a following, and people were recording her act, which used to be you know, horrifying, but now you, what are you going to do? And she was saying some jokes about God and she was she was being rather uh, insulting toward God and all of a sudden she collapsed and you may have seen this because it was all over uh, it was all over TikTok it was all over Twitter uh, it got to Facebook and people said look God you know that'll teach and I'm going no 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 do you want to be in a world where God strikes you down when you do something wrong you see where we're heading to Acts 5 in a bit Plus, is she the only comedian that was making fun of God right then? That would seem unusual. Comedians do that a lot, don't they? Maybe we shouldn't act like we believe in magic. Maybe we should just say people sometimes die at work. Sometimes people fall off stages. There's a mundane explanation for it. We don't need to explain it. We just need to be there for that woman's family because they're hurting and they're, they're in pain right now. So posting gotchas is not really our job. We are not PR for God. 
we are co-workers. It is better to open our hearts, empty our wallets, clear our schedules in order to help those in pain, those that have suffered loss, those who are forgotten, broken, unheard, unseen. That's our job. We don't need to spend this for a metaphysical meaning. We just need to be there in the pain for the people in pain. We are not called to explain the storms. We're not called to explain the storms away. We are called to be the representatives of God in the storm. It's a hard sermon, isn't it? And by the way, we're also allowed to say sometimes, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why me. By the way, I've, I talked to other soldiers and Marines during that time uh, for years. And most of the time, people would say, I don't know. You know, one Marine, they were pinned down. And the, the angle of fire, I could go through all of this. They were pinned down, and there was nothing they could do to get out of the middle of a street. And so one of them picked up his, uh, I think it was an M240, which is a, a machine gun, basically a light machine gun. And he just stood up, knowing that, and he just emptied the thing. It has, it's a belt fed, so the belt's going through, belt's going through, and it drove off, drove off the people that were shooting at them. And they said, after the battle, they turned around and looked. It was like a cartoon cutout of a man. All the bullets fired at him, except for this man shape. And I looked at him, and I said, how do you explain that? And he says, I don't. And I said, do you think God protected you? He said, I don't believe in God. I went, well, okay. You could have had a great story on social media. Um, and we, we talked about it. That was right before a wedding of a Marine, uh, a Marine. So we had several of them to visit with. There's a strange story in Acts 5. Barb read it to you today. I love it when Barb reads to us or prays. This kind of story doesn't repeat itself in Scripture. Certainly not in the New Testament. Scott McKnight, a, a current theologian and popular writer, referred to things that, that just kind of aren't, what? As a blue parakeet. Because he likes birds, as any person who is good does. Uh, I love birds too. And he would go out and you know, have his cup of coffee in the morning and see the birds. And one day he looks over and there's a blue parakeet parakeets are not wild or for long in America. So this is different. And he talked about when you read through the Bible, sometimes you hit a blue parakeet and you need to pull back and go, what's going on here? The bird doesn't belong. This story doesn't fit our preconceived concepts of who God is and how this works. At least I don't think it does. The closest analog to it would be Uzzah and the Ark. Do you remember that one? They're bringing the Ark back in triumphantly. It starts to shake a bit and he might fall off. Uzzah puts his hand on the Ark, but you're not allowed to touch the Ark, so God strikes him dead. When I was a boy, I wrestled with that even while going to church all those years. It nearly killed me because he was trying to help. Plus, it had been in a guy's house. It had been touched and probably used as an occasional table for years. What's going on here? Well, 
it might surprise you to know that they pretty much figured that one out. They look at it and the wrong priests were bringing it. They brought it on the wrong kind of conveyance. They were doing everything wrong. And so, okay, we can accept that. But what's going on with Ananias and Sapphira? Because I'm going to tell you right now, uh, none of us here, none of us put in everything we had today. All of us gave. I'm, I, I, I don't know the money stuff, but I know the hearts of the people here. I know they gave. Somehow, some way, they gave. Um, if we sold something and we put it all in, great. If we said we did, but we didn't, most people would never know. We don't get a lot of people killed in the foyer. We don't have a foyer. That's not the point. We don't have this happen. What is going on here? Now, I've read probably, it's not a whole lot, probably 20 different writers trying to explain this. And I'm going to pick on Gregory Boyd because I like him a lot. And I owe Gregory Boyd a lot because he helped me break free from my unknown Calvinism of my youth, which kept me away from God. And so he knows that. We've met. And, and I've talked to him about it. it. He tries to explain this away in his book, The Crucifixion of the Warrior God. 660 pages. Not my favorite one of his... But it's, it's something which he, he tried. It takes him many pages and layer after layer of assumptions, affirmations, and ideas to get to his, his, uh, his two arguments. First, he and others point out it doesn't expressly say God killed them. And I'm going, that's, that seems a bit weak tea, doesn't it? To, uh, to say, well, they just happened to die and, and it's been recorded. No, there does seem to be a cause and effect here, doesn't there? Because Peter tells this woman, you're about to die too. And she does. But they're saying it doesn't say that Peter doesn't say that God's going. I'm sorry, that's just weak. And then the other is, God keeps sin away from us because sin is death. All God did was withdraw from them. And I'm sorry, we call that tautology in logic or circular reasoning, if you want to look at it that way, because frankly, that's the same effect as killing someone. By the way, I've noticed my time's running out, but I want to take a few more minutes. I think we need to. Here's the question. Why just once? Why did God kill these two? And here's the answer. I don't know. I don't think anybody does. I just, there, there may be those who say, you know, this could be a mythical story put in. I don't think you can do that, especially with Luke. Luke has proven himself again and again to be a solid historian. He got his facts right. So no, but that being true, we would expect to see more stories like this and we would think it was normative. And here's the kicker, we got to say this, part of us wishes it was. We'd never admit it, but at some level, we wish God were still really all about killing sinners as long as they're not us or anyone we care about. But kill the other sinners. It's rather like complaining about a traffic jam while you're part of it. You are contributing to the problem. So are you wanting him to kill everybody else but not you? But we don't understand. I don't understand why God doesn't strike down the shooter before they enter the school. Wouldn't you if you were he? Yes. We don't understand why he doesn't strike down the drunk before he hops the curb and kills a kid. 
we don't understand why he doesn't strike down warmongering leaders of nations who live in gutter in five-star hotels and are worth an average of $12 billion, all of which was sent to their nations for aid, but went to them instead. Why aren't they struck down? Need me to go on? Here's the thing. We got to land this plane, and where this is going, you really need to go. The very fact he doesn't strike them down is a good thing. It means that God has greater patience even with them than we do. He is a patient God. And in fact, 2 Peter 3.15, look it up, memorize that this week. The patience of God is the salvation of man. I've even had people say, why didn't you just get rid of Satan? And I said, is it possible he loves him too? We want God's patience pulled from others without realizing that his patience means our salvation too. He challenges us to love our enemies. Good thing we got that down, right? No. Did he strike us dead? No. The patience of God is the salvation of man. He challenges us to love those who are actively harming us. It's hard to do. It might end up killing us. It will certainly take time, money, Comfort, peace from us. But it should also remind us that we would all be Ananias and Sapphira were it not for the patience of God. So, wrapping it up. I only have one theory about Ananias and Sapphira. And again, I've already said I don't know. So this is not being laid out as fact. I assume there was a long history of con games with these two. That this was not a one-time thing. And the reason it's not brought up is because everybody knew it. Remember the Bible was not written to us. It was written for us. Those to whom it was written knew the story, the backstory. We don't know. Sometimes that helps me sleep a little better at night. But what I do know is that we have to do something with our pain. And we have to do something with our joy. Somehow... We need to recognize the need to thank God and worship him for his provision while not painting a God that loves us better than our neighbor. It's a hard job, isn't it? Let's hold each other to it. Let's work on this. Let's, let's do better. Now I'm about to transition into a song. Before I do that, I would like to ask the soundstage people, when the song is done and the closing prayer is done, would you please um, stay still for a while? Because I've got an announcement that only impacts you here. And it's a good one. <laughs> there are no tragedies walking our way. Well, there may be, but that's not what the announcement's about. Fair enough? A man wanted to go to the Holy Land, take his family there. He was a wealthy man. And right before the trip, he had to delay his trip. He was going to have to come on a ship a few days later, so he sent his wife and his daughters on the ship. The ship sank. She made it to Britain. She was one of the few survivors. She had no money. She could only afford a telegram with two words, saved alone. He sat and wrote these words. I don't believe he made the tune, but it could be that he did. Somebody will correct me on that, I'm sure. 
a song that we know, a song that we've sung, what you may not know is that he did get on the ship, he did go to his wife, they did go to the Middle East, and they set up a hospital for people who could not pay in honor of their God and their girls who were now with him. That's a story you can tell hurting people about our love of our God and what to do with the fact that we're born on the battlefield. 